You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Welcome back to Thunder Quack Perfect 10. I'm your host, Michael Cohen. Every episode, we dive deep with a special guest into a piece of pop culture they adore. Is it a 10 out of 10? Maybe. But to them, it's an undeniable masterpiece. So sit back, get comfy, and let's find some joy talking Haunting of Hill House with Missy. Missy, it is so good to have you back for this special, a special Halloween episode. Yes, I'm so excited that you wanted to do this because I am always looking for people to talk to me about this and not everybody's yeah. into horror. So yeah. it's yeah. it's fun. Yeah, here's here's what I'll say about about this. Uh, not just this piece, but like all of the Mike Flanagan stuff in general. It, yes, it is horror, but it's actually not horror. And mm-hmm. that's the thing that I love so much about Agreed. it. We'll get we'll get way, way into that. Uh, yes. once we get into into talking about this one but um but yeah like that is he he has he just lives in this wonderful sweet spot of like beautiful drama that just happens to have these horrific elements yep. to it um and and that's what i love so much about about the the, the flaniverse i don't know what we call it <laughs> I, <laughs> I love it no hang on trademark that the flaniverse yeah. um yes. awesome I, listen, I don't want to, everybody knows who you are because you. this is what your third, fourth, I don't even remember appearance on this podcast. Uh, third, third, I one? think. Third one? Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I just love talking about this stupid geeky stuff with you. So, <laughs> uh, and and I think that everybody else who's been listening for a while knows who you are. So if, if you don't, go back and listen to Missy's previous episodes. Uh, but uh, I, I'm, we're just going to get right into it. We're just going to yeah. jump right in. So here is... Here is the uh, the sort of primer on Hill House. Uh, so tonight we journey into the shadowy corridors and echoing halls of one of the most chilling tales in television, The Haunting of Hill House. A tapestry of love, loss, and phantoms, this show takes us deep into the recesses of a haunted mansion and the tormented minds of the family entwined with its history. From eerie apparitions to heart-wrenching family dynamics, The Haunting of Hill House is more than just a ghost story. It's a haunting portrayal of trauma and redemption. So dim the lights, cozy up under a blanket, and let's venture into the ethereal world of Hill House, where every corner hides a secret and every shadow may not be what it seems. Uh let the haunting begin let's let's get into it i i before we get into hill house i think we need to talk about the man uh the 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 now i mean like listen i just finished house of usher i'm not going to talk about it because we are in the middle of the strike uh the actor strike still so thankfully the writer strike is over but we are in the actor strike so i don't want to promote it but i'm just going to say i have finished it and so I will say that he is a legend, like the legend, like mm-hmm. this guy is just such a master of storytelling. Yeah. Um, g- give the audience the deets on, on this very prolific uh, uh, filmmaker. Yes. All right. So I think the important thing to know about Mike Flanagan is that he got his start 
in film, so he didn't make the jump to TV actually until um, Hill House, or at least not in terms of being a showrunner. He d- he did mm-hmm. um, occasionally write on um, or do editing. Actually, was his main thing. He was an editor on a lot of TV shows, but he didn't actually uh, you know become a showrunner for TV until Hill House. And so prior to that, it was all films mostly. And what's interesting is all of his films, they were all you know more or less horror. It, but they were all really kind of low budget, very tight focus, very small cast, you know, often on like one set maybe for the entire film. Um, you know, so like, for instance, Hush and Gerald's Game, mm-hmm. both of them, which, of course, both feature actors from Hill House um, or who later appeared in Hill House, rather. Um so, you know, this was kind of his his thing and what he did. And he was really kind of honing these skills with um, these just very tight, very focused, utterly terrifying yeah. <laughs> stories. Um, and I do recommend, I haven't seen all the ones he made, but like I said, I've seen Hush and Gerald's Game. I really loved Hush in particular. Um, so I think, you know, just any of them are excellent. Please check them yeah. out. Of, of course, you know, if you think you can handle it, I always have my pillow on hand in case I need to cover my face because it's terrifying. I'm going to, um, yeah, it, <laughs> while we're talking about his movies, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll say Dr. Sleep is actually fantastic. Nice. Um, and it has no right to be eh, because it is mm-hmm. a sequel to the shining, which <laughs> is like, why? Like, like, like classic horror movies like the shining don't necessarily need sequels it's it's mm-hmm. it's it can be fun but it's not usually a good idea um and then and then you add the kubrick to it and it's yeah. like come on and then like the story of that film itself yeah. um but here's here's the thing about dr sleep is that mike and i he and i, I think can be on a first name basis because we share the first <laughs> name um he he understands that that is all in play and so mm-hmm. the movie itself actually um without breaking the fourth wall is very very much like referencing the fact that like come on how can we do this right uh-huh. um and then on top of it i mean it's ewan so uh any yeah. opportunity to spend two hours with ewan is always a good thing to do in my book mm-hmm. so uh but but it surprisingly for uh being a sequel to uh, uh a, a true film cl- classic like a masterpiece um it it is it is actually quite good um, yeah so, but it's so interesting. I, I, that you, I highly recommend that one. Yeah, for sure. But it's interesting you mentioned that because it actually segues really well into Hill House, which interestingly, oh, so Hill House came out in 2018, mm-hmm. and um, and Doctor Sleep came out the year after. So he was actually starting on Doctor Sleep while he was finishing up Hill House, and um, so it's interesting because they they're similar in in one regard, which is to your point, like did this horror movie really need a sequel? Not necessarily. Yeah. So. He talks about in the commentary on Hill House, which I actually do recommend. There's, um, if you get the uh, Blu-ray of it, they do have commentary. He has commentary on four different episodes. Um, it's really excellent. I highly recommend it. And yes, of course, I went and got the Blu-ray. What do you mean? <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but what he talks about is how what interested him about doing Haunting of Hill House is he didn't want to have a story that ended with the characters escaping the house. His whole thing was, how does being haunted 
follow these characters and affect them after the fact. So arguably, mm -hmm. the whole story is a sequel to being haunted or a sequel yeah. to a haunting, effectively. That's kind of how the story is structured. And so I think it's very interesting that he arguably kind of um, approached that concept kind of twice in a row there. Yeah, absolutely. It's I, I mean, he, he does really love to play with um with non-linear storytelling yes right very much. Uh, everything hill house bly manor midnight mass um and, mm -hmm. and and i'll say house of usher as well i uh, they all they all play with non-linear non-sequential yeah. stories um mm -hmm. where you know that i th i think like this to me is one of the things that makes his shows so so good is how rewatchable they are yeah because of that so yes. you get to the end of hill house and you instantly like the first time you watch it you're like i think i want to watch it again yeah i know no, like it started over like immediately <laughs> yeah because you i mean like hill, hill house in particular is really cool because um because there are so many ghosts and I, I, you can go online and you can find guides and stuff like that, but they are literally like from the jump. Mm -hmm. There are ghosts everywhere constantly and you, but mm -hmm. you don't necessarily, um, you don't necessarily catch it your first yeah. go through. So, uh, so, so it, it is very rewatchable. It is a, it is a show where you should really put your phone down and, uh, yep. and, and, and focus. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah i uh, and then and then beyond that i mean like just he he is a director that really really understands actors um and i think yes. that 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 comes through in the in sort of the methodology of the way that he casts things yes. he not just cast things he writes most of these stories he writes for his wife <laughs> yep um uh who is in everything <laughs> basically mm -hmm. i i but i i he he writes characters for actors like with them in mind and then brings them in um and lets them do what they do right yeah like, right it, well it, and that we need to talk about two other things at least if not yeah. more that are very specific to his style and so the first one that i'll mention to your point about being you know really focused on the actors and everything is he's famous or sometimes notorious for monologues yeah. in a way that you don't get almost ever on screen. Um, and he will stage scenes like a play where the camera will just sit and they will not, they will not do any coverage of the other people in the scene. He talks about this in the, in the commentary, you know, they don't like literally he doesn't even have the option to edit in <laughs> reactions to the other characters because he didn't even shoot them. So yeah. it's literally just, he just fixes the camera on one character and they just monologue at you. And that sounds like it would be really boring, but he writes the most compelling monologues that are just amazing. And then he just lets these actors go and they, achieve something incredible that you almost never see and so and he does he has shots i think the you know one of the longest shots in um hill house is almost 18 minutes long yeah a shot okay not a scene a shot <laughs> so yeah. like so like he just has these characters acting out a literally a play and 
it, it just brings them to places that you don't normally see on film because I think actors are accustomed to doing literally a few seconds at a time most of the time. And mm-hmm. so to do minutes upon minutes all at once and sometimes where they're the only character speaking is just, it's rare and yet it's really compelling. I love, I love he'll also do stuff where like the characters uh, that are speaking are not necessarily even, um, they're not even on screen sometimes. It'll Mm -hmm. just be a voice and we're seeing other characters reactions. Like we're focused on somebody else because this episode, he he really likes to structure things where it's like, okay, this episode is going to focus on this person. This episode is going to focus on this person. Um, Right. And, and give those actors their sort of their, the, the, everybody gets a showcase episode, right? Mm-hmm. Hill House, Bly Manor, and, and House of Usher are structured this way really, really strongly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, but, but he just, he, there is, I, this is so funny. It keeps coming up. There is something kind of Shakespearean about it, right? Yes, uh, exactly. It, the monologues, absolutely a very Shakespearean thing to do. Um, mm-hmm. They are, they are, almost soliloquies in in the mm-hmm. way in the way that they're that they're staged right um mm-hmm. the difference for people who don't who maybe don't know shakespeare that well is that like a monologue is is a is sort of a generic term of like any time that a character speaks for an extended period of time or it might even just be an individual piece where like just one actor comes out does a monologue and then that's mm-hmm. but a soliloquy specifically is 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 like when Shakespeare does it is usually when a character sort of almost like steps out of the play for a second to address the audience and, Mm -hmm. and starts going off. Right. And so Mike Flanagan's stuff, like he's, he has those moments without breaking the fourth wall, right. Without, without actually like stopping the flow of the narrative, but at the same time, like he will have, he will, he will break one of the Cardinal rules, which is he will have, actors look straight down the barrel right mm-hmm. at you right yep. while they deliver these lines um mm-hmm. and and then like the the sort of um the 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 sort of like this this theater house of actors that he works with is this other thing that makes it very shakespearean yes where it's very like, much it's like the same players are always going to come out so there's a funny thing where it's like, yeah, they're all different shows, but they're almost like different seasons of the same, mm-hmm. like, like they're, they are seasons put on by this playhouse. Yeah. Right? Like, it's like, like Oh, well, what, what are, are the Flanagan players putting on this year? You know, exactly. <laughs> like- <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and so you get these wonderful things like, like Rahul Kohli is such a great example. He's not in Hill mm-hmm. House, but, um, but, but, he will come in and he's played such wildly different characters mm-hmm. in the shows that he's been in, but we have this familiarity with him. Right. Especially right. if you watch die zombie as well, you're like, Oh, I know this guy. Like I know Rahul. Like I, like mm-hmm. I, I, I have, I have this sense with him as an actor, but then he comes in and he does these different characters and you get to see these different facets and different aspects of his performance. And, yeah. um, and that it can just, it's just what it does is it it actually keys you into their performances because you go yeah. I know this guy and then they start talking and you're like oh no oh this is very different yeah, and so now new. all of a sudden now all of a sudden you're hooked on this character mm-hmm. and you want to know more and you're actually paying attention and I think it's such a beautiful way of doing things 
Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's, uh, yeah, I just, I, I'm, I'm such an admirer of him that, yeah. uh, and, and sort of his, his, his thought process, his methodology, um, mm-hmm. and, and the way that he arrives at, at these pieces of work. Right. Yeah, and, for sure. And I think the other thing that he does that allows the performances to really, really sing is, um, and he, he brag, I say brag, he does brag. He, he brags about this on the commentary which is um, he hates ADR and he mm. will do almost anything to avoid using it. He says that in Hill House, there's one line of ADR in the entire show. And it's literally just the word, hey, because there was too much traffic the day they shot it. And that's it. <laughs> Other than that, like zero ADR in the whole thing. He's super proud of it. And, um, and he's like, does that mean that I was, you know, reshooting things again and again and again and again and again until you know we got the audio he's like yes <laughs> that is what that meant and so um you know and that's amazing like i don't i don't know who does that really i mean if only yeah. just because it's got to get exhausting and expensive <laughs> to try to do that and but he's very serious about it and i think that's fantastic because you know not only do you get that really raw performance but then you don't get that feeling sometimes i think occasionally i get when something does have very heavy adr where it really loses the rhythm because you know it was all kind of cobbled together after the fact um yeah so i i think it just again it kind of goes back to that whole feeling of it being a play like these are actors who not only did they have to get all the emotion into their performance um but they also had to um, make sure that they were speaking clearly and comprehensively because there was not going to be any opportunity to go back and fix it later. So yeah. it's really something. I think I, I've I've heard I, I'm 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 a really big fan of Rahul Kohli as well. So yeah, um, not just his acting, but just him as a person. I think he's mm-hmm. a I think he's a very cool, uh, interesting uh, guy. But uh, so I've listened to him talk about a lot of this stuff. And when he talks about working with, with Mike Flanagan, he, um, he basically says, it's like, like you, because of the environment, because of the way that they, they, he runs his set, um, and because of the, the sort of care and attention into every detail, especially in the writing, <clears throat> you come prepared, you come, you come ready to work. And, mm-hmm. uh, it's not in like a, Oh, like this is going to be a difficult day, sort of thing. But in in like uh, this is this is a challenge, and 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 Mike thinks I'm up to the task, and so I don't want to disappoint him, right? <laughs> like like it's sort of like it's he's he just I think he really um, from everything that I've heard, all these actors talk about like the experience of being on these shows. It it yes, they are they are like i don't know if difficult shoots is the right way to put it but like they they are intense shoots i mean mm-hmm. like not just i think what you're talking about with the adr like with no adr as sort of a like a, a a rule but also just in like the 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 content right mm-hmm. and they're being asked to be very vulnerable and get really deep into the into this really yeah. emotional stuff and so it's a it is a it can be a very intense set um but but that he just has done such a good job 
of I think like engendering trust with with mm-hmm. his actors that they show up and they like they just want to deliver. They just want to give great performances. And I think when you get that, it's it is quite the opposite of when we talk about the prequels. We talk about George as a director, and uh, there are many things that George Lucas is phenomenal at. We talk about it all the time, but we all also always talk about he is not an actor's director, no. and it is like it's the opposite, <laughs> right? Yeah. You've got Mike Flanagan here going like, like I want to avoid ADR if at all possible yep. to the extent of like having almost zero in an entire show. Yeah. Um, because it's like, like we're not going to rely on that technology. We're going to, mm-hmm. we're going to rely on the actors. We're going to rely yeah. on the artists. Right. Yep. And then you've got George who's like, we'll fix it later. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry. <laughs> you got it. Yeah. Totally different, totally different Fine. because like the prequels are mostly ADR. Yep. Um, if you told me that not a single line of dialogue in Revenge of the Sith was recorded on the day, I'd believe you. Yeah. Because <laughs> there are moments in that movie where you're like, those actors weren't in the same room together. Um, that guy doesn't exist at all. I, yep. I, <laughs> they're just, that, that person's just talking to tennis balls. Um, but yeah, it, it's 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 quite the opposite, I think, for for Mike Flanagan stuff, which is so mm-hmm. funny because it's like I sort of I hold them in very similar esteem. Yeah, um, as 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 but they're wildly as different creators. Yes, yeah, so different, yes. and I mm-hmm. and I appreciate and love them for those very different reasons. Yeah, I cool. I listen. I think we've I think we've pumped Mike Flanagan's tires <laughs> enough at this point. <laughs> And we can get like we can get deep into the actual Hill House of it. Yes, um, let's do it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I I I love this show. This was I think we were talking before we recorded. This is either my third or fourth time. Um, I I don't love it quite as much as I love Midnight Mass, which is my favorite. And as, mm-hmm. as I was telling you before, not just my favorite Mike Flanagan, but like it's one of my top three TV shows. It's like mm-hmm. I don't even know. Like like it's like Community, Midnight Mass. I don't know, probably Smallville is in there yeah. somewhere. Um, mm-hmm. uh, these things that are just like, like, I, I like, so I mean, Smallville's not great. Smallville's terrible, but I love it anyway. That doesn't mean you can't love it. <laughs> no, I love it for that. Um, but, but yeah, like Hill House being the first one out the gate, I like holds a special place. Bly Manor isn't really my, isn't, isn't really my jam. I, I've only mm-hmm. watched through it twice. Um, I say that it's like not really my thing. I've only watched that entire series twice. <laughs> I've only watched it twice. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, and I just finished House of Usher, so I was like, I'll probably mm-hmm. go back and watch it again in the next little bit. Did you see Halloween Midnight Club? Uh, I did. I, I did. I watched Midnight Club. I uh, and I did only watch that one once, and I think that's mm-hmm. just because um, last year was like it was like that, and like. I was there not there was like a Star Wars series and then like a Marvel series it was just like it was there was there was too much all at once yeah but um and so I haven't gone back to it Midnight Club is also it's also a weird one because it is so anthologized that it's like I'd be more I'd be more inclined to just go back and watch individual episodes of Midnight Club when I'm Mm -hmm. sort of in the mood to watch a specific story yep. um, because the, the overarching story in that one didn't really, didn't really grab me as much, well, but there are individual episodes. The biggest problem with it is that of it course, was supposed yeah. to be a two season show. And unfortunately yeah. it didn't get renewed. Now, if you are interested, if you, you know, if you watch that show and you are interested, 
Um, Mike Flanagan is on Tumblr and he has, you know, he promised when he was waiting for the renewal that if it didn't get renewed, he would share his intended ending for the show on Tumblr. And so when, you know, the news came down that it had not gotten renewed, unfortunately, he did share the ending for the show. So if you need that sense of closure, he did provide it, (laughs) which I think is great. Thank you, Mike. So. Well, let's, uh, but let's pivot back into, into Hill House. Yes, please. Um, yeah, well, I'll, I'll 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 sort of toss it over to you. So, because you you actually came to me after we recorded uh, uh, Roman Holiday mm-hmm. uh, a little while after you were like, "Hey, I," because we had talked about, "Oh, we're gonna do Ninja Turtles." Like, I want right. to do Ninja Turtles. Come come talk mm-hmm. Ninja Turtles with me. And then you were like, "Yeah, awesome, totally." I uh, in October, can we talk about Hill House? And I was like, "Yes, yes a thousand percent, yes." Yes. Um, so. What is it about this show that made you say, I want to, I, I actively want to have this conversation on a podcast? Because I cannot believe that I love this show because I do not do horror. I don't <laughs> at all. Like, I mean, ask me any famous horror, anything. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen it. I'm too scared. I, I don't watch them. The one time I ever remember seeing horror, anything, some friends tricked me into going to the ring when it came out. Oof. And I spent the last 25 minutes of that movie with my head stuffed into the seat, with my ears covered, refusing to look or hear, listen to anything. I should just left the theater, but it was, <laughs> I'm so scared and I just don't do well. And so what's crazy about Hill House is like my husband started watching it and he was enjoying it and he was kind of telling me a little bit about it. And I was like, oh man, really doesn't sound like my thing. And then somehow or other, I sat down and started watching, get this, on episode five, The Bent Neck Lady. (laughs) That's where I came into this show. Wow. And it was so riveting. And of course, if you yeah. if you're familiar with the format of Hill House, really the most of the horror content is contained in the first half of the show. And the second half, the back half, is really just a drama. And so mm-hmm. I was so sucked in to the drama of these characters and this family. And then the fact that it, in my opinion, ends on this incredibly satisfying note like just it's it's it is the most complete just amazing feeling when you finish that show because yeah not everything is happy but it is very hopeful it is you know like all the threads are tied off um it's just so well done and and it's and it means something it has you know like there's a reason that they told the story there's a reason that it ends the way it does you understand what was being communicated by the end of the story so so the reason that i love it is that and of course since then to your point like you said you've seen it three or four times this was my fourth time watching through (laughs) in preparation for this conversation um and i will watch it again and again and again and again because i love it it's just a wonderful story um, and so I think that the reason ultimately is that I'm, I'm so fascinated um, that I enjoy it as much as I do. I like going back and discovering new things. It's not just finding all the ghosts. That's a, that's a fun like Easter egg hunt. It's a really good time. But it's also just like I noticed things that I didn't notice before. So this time around, I caught things that I have never noticed before. And that was really cool. Um, and, and it makes me very emotional. Um, in the final episode, I 
ball. I sob. It's mm-hmm. I'm a mess. <laughs> I just sit there and cry so hard because I'm just like, I love the Crane family so much. And I just want them to be happy, man. So yeah, that's my reasoning <laughs> for awesome. why I love the show. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, it is funny how, how so much of the like spooky, scary is is front loaded. Mm-hmm. And then you get you get to the bent neck lady episode mm-hmm. and that reveal, which is like the um, it's like the M. Night Shyamalan twist. Right. Yes. Uh, very much. But but wonderfully, it comes in the middle of the story. Yeah. And so we get so much more after that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I. And, and, and it's, this is one of those things on rewatch that, that I love about it is that when you watch through, I mean, like you get, I got it the first time watching through it, but you don't really get just how much this is happening until, Mm -hmm. until you've watched through it once and you get to the end and you find out that, that like, oh, Nell, Nell has been like, like everything that happens to them from basically the beginning. Like, like if you look at it chronologically and you look at like the, the, the beginning of the story being um like the first episode is uh, sure. Steven sees a ghost right yes uh and you, you sort of start it from his point of view and that's sort of the beginning of the story and then everything else that happens before that is flashbacks right but mm-hmm. if you sort of look at it that way because that's like the day basically that she dies right mm-hmm. you look at all this stuff that happens all of these like nudges and things that push them in different directions. Yeah. So much of it is actually like Nell trying to mm-hmm. help them. Yes. And I love that. Like one of the best jump scares in, in the series is when the, the, the remaining two sisters are, are <gasps> yes. arguing in the car mm-hmm. and she just bursts through in between the two of them and screams just like making this noise. Yes. And you realize it's not, she's not, she's not haunting them to scare them. She's trying to help them and what she understands that they don't understand, but that, that their father understands is that like the house preys on that negativity. Right. And she knows that like, you guys can't, you cannot go into the house in this state. So she like shuts it down. right? Right. And there's, there's so many moments like that. Like when, when she knocks over her own, casket right yep like all of that that's like there are all of these moments of like every time the family is veering off course from Mm -hmm. where they need to be going she intercedes to to try and bring them back to to center yeah Um, it's amazing it i love it yeah it it's this it's just such great like non-linear storytelling because because then also once you've watched bent neck lady you realize that like as a ghost time doesn't mean anything right yeah. like right like it, it's it, it's it's sort of immaterial and so she i think at the point that she dies and experiences that mm-hmm. one of the most terrifying horrific things that i think's ever been put on screen yeah. that that scene uh, like after like she dies and and then and then drops into the past and then into the yep. past into the past and yep. you realize and she's saying no 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 yep, yep. you oh. you're going like i like all of this is coming back from the scenes that we've seen earlier in the show so yeah. so heart-wrenchingly terrifying it is um, so scary and and the oh reason my mike flanagan stuff is so scary is 
because he puts so much emphasis on the drama and he makes sure that you love these characters. He just, he, and he makes them whole and complete people, you know, with lives. And you just, so you're so engaged. And so it's terrifying because you genuinely care about them. That's what makes it scary. But also that jump scare is amazing. I don't think it's just the best jump scare in the show. I think it's one of the best jump scares I've ever seen. Granted, again, my experience is limited because I'm terrified, but it's really good. And I'm a very mean person who enjoys introducing new people to this show and sitting there and watching them when that happens (laughs) and hearing them scream. It's super fun. It's so good. It's so good. Yeah. And, and the show, the show is just, it's, it's full of, it's full of, there, there's an aspect I think with horror where really great horror directors are often very good at the scary part or they're very mm-hmm. good at, at sort of the suspense yep. aspects of it. Um, but then, you know, the, 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 the human element tends to, to sort of fall by the wayside, right? It's yes. not as important, but, but Hill house is such a, a human story with, so like, I think the, the way, uh, this is another one of the things that Mike Flanagan does is that he brings together these casts of characters. And so you have an opportunity, no matter which one of his shows it is, you're going to find somebody whose story overlaps with your own experiences. Mm-hmm. Right. right. It, you're, you're, you're going to have um, things to relate to. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so every, everybody that I talk to about this show, they they have different things that that they sort of attach to or not just mm-hmm. this show but all of his shows that they attach to um and 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 sort of favorite characters and that sort of thing and and i think like that like that just speaks to how great he is at building out these characters they feel like real people yeah right? very much. like like hill house more than any of the other shows i think even like they they really really feel like like fully rounded actualized human beings um and and you understand their perspectives and Mm -hmm. and um i mean like like i i oh the uh, the younger brother i don't know why i'm forgetting his name right now luke yeah i Mm -hmm. his story even if even if you don't struggle with addiction i think that you can understand um where he's at in the various parts of the story and yeah. and how he ended up specifically in the spot that he ended up right or if um, you can't relate to him you can relate to the siblings who are trying so desperately to help him and becoming so discouraged when it's yeah. not you know it's not working and he you know because you know of course addiction tends to be a lifelong struggle you're never really cured which is also something that the story confronts quite directly um and so yeah i think that there's there's an entry point for everyone into this story so you have the opportunity to relate to someone and i think what works so well about hill house specifically is the fact that the cast the entire cast this is a family and they are so convincingly a family they have they have shared history like there's there's times where um they'll be like hey remember that thing oh yeah that was funny and like we didn't show you that on screen because it's not necessary for the story, but the characters talk about it because it's an experience they shared. And so that yeah. happens a lot throughout this entire story. And, and even just their dynamic and the way they talk to one another, it feels like siblings or parents in <laughs> this case, but like it, it feels like siblings most of the way through. And I, 
some of my favorite moments are, you know, when the siblings are mad at each other, the way they fight, the way they yell at each other. It's so believable. It is so, especially in that heightened, you know, when you're grieving, a lot of people get much meaner when they're in the throes of grief. That's just a very common yeah. human reaction. And all of these characters are, are they're, they're terrified and, and they're grief stricken and they're shouting at each other. And it's just, um, it's really something to see. And it's, it's weirdly cathartic, like as terrifying as it is to watch these characters go to such extreme emotional places um, can be very, very cathartic to watch as a viewer. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is, I, 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 Hill House is, um, it's, it is therapeutic as a show. Yeah, very much. I, I think. Um, mm-hmm. And, and that is like exactly what you're saying of like every, all of them, have these different struggles. And I think like you can find one character to sort of latch onto Mm -hmm. um, at any given moment and, and, and sort of um, go through what they're going through and experience Mm -hmm. what they, what they're experiencing. But in a very, I mean, this is what escapism is about, right. Is like, and storytelling in general is like, let's experience the darkness. (laughs) Let's go Mm -hmm. into the underworld from the safety of our couch. Right. Yes. Um, I think that's why, like, that's what people are looking for when they're looking for horror. And I think that's why this horror is so effective to like exactly the point that you made earlier, which is that like, when you care about these characters, when tragedy befalls them, it, it's that much more heartbreaking. And Mm -hmm. it's, and, and when we see it from their perspective, it's that much more terrifying, right? right? Because we, we know what, scares them the most right we know Mm -hmm. what scares Nell the most we know that the bent neck lady is this thing that has been haunting her her entire life when we get the story of her her husband and everything that happens there um and 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 then like her her fall from grace uh that results from that i it, it just like that is I mean, like that is, have, have you ever experienced sleep paralysis? Um, it's hard for me to say whether I've experienced sleep paralysis. I did experience one time a dream that was so terrifying that I started mm. screaming for my mother to save me as an adult. When I no longer live with my mother and I had yeah, two yeah. children on my own, I was so terrified and I woke up very suddenly with the realization I had been screaming out loud. So yeah, oh, wow. <laughs> I've done that. Yeah. Um, so I, I, it, it actually, I actually haven't, I haven't had it in a long time now that I think about it, but, mm-hmm. um, but, but I have probably about five or six times in my life experienced sleep paralysis and it's a, it's a, it, I have never, I have never experienced it in like its most terrifying forms, which, which like people will talk about it and, um, a lot of like alien abduction, close encounters of right. the third kind stories are, are actually attributed to sleep paralysis because sure. it's very common to see a shadowy figure yeah, of some kind and stuff. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, because you're sort of, uh, I, whether you want to be scientific or uh, metaphysical about it, you, you are literally in a state between the dream world and the waking world. Right. Right. Like that's that's where you're existing when you're in sleep paralysis is Mm -hmm. that your body, your mind is awake to the real world, but it's but your body is still in the middle of that cycle. Right. So having experienced sleep paralysis on multiple occasions, 
uh, when we get to that part of her story and, and you find out that like, like that is what's happening to her. Yeah, right? like absolutely. There, is, there is absolutely like a scientific medical explanation for part of it, mm-hmm. but the way that the line is blurred with the way that her husband dies mm-hmm. of like, did, did the bent did she neck kill lady him? Yeah, I kill know. him or yeah. did, or was it just an aneurysm? Right. right? Exactly. Um, like like it's it there there is literally there is no answer as far as i know (laughs) unless unless it's on the commissary but um, no he doesn't say and i think the whole purpose the whole point there is that you know she's she's being stalked effectively by her own death for her entire life so it makes sense that death tends to follow the vision that she is seeing so i think it's doesn't necessarily matter whether the bent neck lady was necessarily responsible for it it's just you know, it is death stalking her in one form or another. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, like that, that, that whole scene is just like, if you, if you've experienced that yourself, um, that like him dying and her literally not being able to move, like just being frozen in her own body. Mm-hmm. It's just like, it, it's uh it's a very, it is a very, very scary thought. It's a it's very so scary thought. scary. It's like, like, it's just so well done the whole way through. It's amazing. Oh, and I feel like we should mention um, two other things that are, that kind of, you know, tie into this, by the way. So the first one is we didn't mention from the beginning that this is actually um, based on a Shirley Jackson story. Um, and so, you know, and very little of the original story actually remains in The Haunting of Hill House, as Flanagan tells it. Um, you know, he really kind of took some some base concepts and character names and then just dramatically expanded on it. In the original, the characters were not related. There weren't as many of them. Um, there just was a lot less going on. And he made them into a family and then expanded the cast and, you know, added all these other themes to it. So I think that's the first thing to mention. Um, and the second thing to mention is that the actress who plays Nell Crane, um, uh, Victoria Pedretti, this was her first job. And he talks on the <laughs> on the um, commentary about how the way she got this job is wild because it's something that never happens, which is literally she was fresh out of college. She filmed her own audition she, he said he wasn't even sure that she had a headshot yet at this at this point mm-hmm. and she um sent it in and it started at the bottom of the pile and then just gradually kind of like made its way up and you know and eventually it got sent to him and he was like oh okay yeah here she is and so <laughs> like so she got effectively a starring role in the way that that people don't usually because it wasn't through connections and it wasn't you know through some big resume it was literally just on the strengths of this one audition tape that was just that good um and and that and and that was expressive of the character that um flanagan was creating that that she got this role and she is incredible in this show she's Mm -hmm. so good none of this would work if you didn't love nell and you love Nell in this story. You love her so much. And she's dead for the entire story. And you love her anyway. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's that's so interesting because yeah, she yeah. really is the cornerstone of the whole thing, right? 
yeah. the, the the family really revolves around her and around uh around the mother around Carl yes Gugino's character olivia right mm-hmm. so it's like like the two of them sort of in those two time periods are yes. are are the ones that sort of every everybody circles around yes um so so to to find out that like yeah she hadn't done anything before this just sort of i mean i'm sure that she had done you know acting uh but nothing on screen like first sure first yeah on-screen role like that's that's mm-hmm. incredible i mean yeah, she's so amazing. good she's so good she's but really i good. i also think that's one of the that is one of the great things about hill house and and it's sort of coming out of nowhere as this netflix series um that that everybody just was sort of like have you watched this have you yeah i know right yeah um is is you know like so many of the faces in this are fresh faces right mm-hmm. like they're they're mm-hmm. people that we have not seen very much or we certainly haven't seen in this context i mean uh, uh michael uh Huisman, who uh plays steven i uh, we would have known from game of thrones but right. as dario right mm-hmm. what a, what a wildly different character from from this character from steven yep. um and and so but almost everybody else is like it's like, well, this is the first time I've ever seen them in something. Um, mm-hmm. McKenna Grace plays young Theo, uh, which uh, well, this was in her era of like, she played the younger version of every character on screen ever. Because um, yep. <laughs> yep. she's she's also young Captain Marvel and like uh, young this character and young I that character. That. Um, right. And now now she stars in the Ghostbusters movies and the new oh. Ghostbusters movies, right? But um yeah. and and uh i so i i am a very big fan of mckenna grace because of yeah uh because of ghostbusters afterlife which is a very <laughs> no but, that's cool though but um, yeah but and yeah carla gugino it's hilarious because of the fact that like this is a little embarrassing but like i recognize her from spy kids i was like oh that's the spy kids mom yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like i recognize carla gugino from my dreams i just um she is just she is gorgeous she's a knockout for sure and this woman is aging and she looks fantastic oh my god listen i i don't i don't want i don't want to out myself too much but like (laughs) i i i feel like we're in a safe place okay i her her role in in house of usher like i won't say anything about specifics about it but um just like she has many looks in it and um nice excellent she is just like she's more beautiful today than than ever like just fine wine and not and i am not saying that in like a cliche or like tacky way but like literally like oh my god she is just the epitome yeah. oh she, she she's she's very much straight down the middle for me um yeah you, you uh, want to talk about fourth wall breaking like every time i watch hill house and i see um uh, hugh i love hugh he's like the most wonderful guy but i'm always like how did he bag a hottie like her <laughs> like every time i'm like dang well done yeah, sir yeah <laughs> um yeah. hugh played by young hugh played by henry thomas who i yeah. i Elliot from ET. Oh just my like, god! See, oh, did you you didn't know that? I literally oh. didn't know that, and now oh, I'm never gonna fantastic. unsee it. That's amazing. No, it totally is. That's oh fantastic. my god, that's incredible. Yeah, <gasps> that yeah. Makes me so happy. and he'd like he'd kind of disappeared, right? And then Mike yeah. Flanagan just like 
pull him back in yes. and puts him in all of these shows. And he's so good. He's in so all good. He's so good. He's such a phenomenal actor. Um, but yeah, um, I, I get you. Uh, he is very much just like sort of an average Joe. I, uh, uh, every man. I, uh, and then, and then here's Carly. Yeah, Gugino, like, listen, just, he's great. Like nothing against him. Yeah. Like I, yeah, yeah, I think yeah. he's a handsome man, but he's like, he's just like, like very, just like, cool. I could probably see that guy around town, but like, yeah. not Carly Gugino. No, <laughs> you would yeah, know no. if you saw her around town. Oh my God. I it, like, yeah. listen, she's, she's one of those people that like, if I saw her in real life, I'd probably collapse. Like, I know, I'd right? fall to my knees and be like, Oh my God. <laughs> but, like you're, but you're not supposed to be real. Like that's yeah. the thing is that you're I on know. my TV. You're not supposed to be in front of me. Um, yeah, I'll so just, true. I'll, I'll calm yeah, myself fun. down a little bit here. No, I know, oh, I know. Sorry, sorry. We went way off at this it's tangent okay. about how insanely it's hot okay. this cast is, but for real, they are. Also, speaking of uh, Mikhail Huseman, like I, anytime he's on my screen, I'm very happy. <laughs> yeah, I, and you know what? His yeah. look in this in particular is like yes, very good, very yeah. good. Well, but, I am but, always always team beard, so yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. the 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 stubble. And and the short the short hair I mean like he's just he's a beautiful head of hair just yes, a beautiful head of he hair. does but he does he has so many he has so many lines on his face mm-hmm. and I love like they just when if 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 I'm gonna if I'm gonna you know design a perfect man I, that that is a thing for me is like he's just no, like you, like I need that character you gotta have those lines on the face mm-hmm. have, like like I just for that expressiveness right yep. like it just. Um, Mm-hmm. It works for me for yeah. sure. I, yeah. The the casting like across the board is so good because so good. I, I actually believe all of these actors as siblings. Like, mm-hmm. like there's, there are, there are physical characteristics between all of them that yep. are like spot on that they then also share with their parents, right. which it's just like, and then, and then both the casting of, of like their, their the present day the and, then, yeah. and then the children as well. Mm-hmm. It's just like, it's, it, it's so, so well done, but, but yeah. I mean, like, what would you expect? Like we've talked so much about how Mike Flanagan cares so much about his actors. Yeah. Obviously he would put this much time and, and attention into yeah. who he's casting. For these and movies. he does talk about how um, Mikhail was the first person that he casted. And so then mm. he's like, I had to build the rest of the cast around him to make sure that they look like they could be related to him. So that's kind of where all of that came from. And then to your point, like he reuses actors that he's used before. So, um, yeah. you know, Kate Siegel from Hush and then Carla Gugino from um, Gerald's Game and so on and so forth. So he he brings in actors that he's worked with before and his reasoning that he gives for why he does that is that um it's such a huge undertaking to do a show as compared to a movie um that he needs people he already knows he works well with and who he trusts with the material so that he's not gonna lose any time to them kind of getting up to speed he needs to know that they can work together and be really efficient so um so that's kind of his his reasoning. But then to your point, like it, it ends up having this effect of being, you know, um, uh, his sort of rotating cast or his players. Um, but what it also does is that it gives these actors some absolutely just incredible material to work with. Like I'm 100% certain that all of them have gotten to do things with him that they would never get to do. Uh, with another director or another writer because um, he just, you know, allows such range 
Um, and, and because it's horror, you have the reason to go to those emotional extremes that you maybe can't reach. You know, any, a lot of other genres will call for a level of restraint and you don't do restraint in horror because really terrible things are happening because the whole purpose of the story and, and his, something else he talks about is his sort of philosophy with regard to ghost stories is like the whole purpose of it is you're taking that character's greatest fear and putting them through it. You're, you're making their worst fear come mm. through, come true. That's what that is. That's what horror, when it's done well, what it is. Um, and, and by extension, of course, the creator or the audience, their worst fear. And he talks about that too. He says, I don't do a project unless it scares me. And so it's, it's just really cool. I think to <clears throat> see this, to, to go through vicariously this harrowing experience, but yeah, from the safety of your home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, 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 I don't know. I, I feel like, I feel like we've, we've covered a lot of it. I, yeah. I'm just, I'm just sort of like kind of scrambling go like, is there anything else that I oh, want to Oh, I mean, I have folklore stuff if you have like a few minutes. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, I will just say like, like before we jump into that, um, mm-hmm. I think that one of the things that's really great about, about both this and Blind Manor is mm-hmm. that, um, uh, oh, and Midnight Mass as well, is that mm-hmm. like the ghosts are there, the, 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 the monsters are there, mm-hmm. right? Like it, I think that they, there are two ways to do horror. One is to hide the, the ghost or the monster in the shadows um, and not really show them and, and really rely on that suspense. Um, that does exist in this story, mm-hmm. but, but we do like, there's an important aspect of it that as the story ramps up, we need to believe that this is happening. Mm-hmm. And in order to believe it, we have to see what the characters are seeing. Yeah. And so you get to a certain point, and I really like the bent neck lady episode, I think is, is the turning point. Yes. After that, we just see the ghosts. We yeah. just see them constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, they are no longer hidden. It's no longer a secret. They're just there. Yep. Um, and I, and one of the wonderful things that ends up happening by the end is that we realize that just because they're ghosts doesn't mean that they're monsters. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, mm-hmm. They are, they are actually most of them are harmless yep uh they just sort of exist um they're stuck in these sort of perpetual loops right Mm -hmm. i but but that you know one of them is 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 a monster yeah but she was a monster long before she became a ghost and so Mm -hmm. it was actually like the humanity not the supernatural right right they they that is doing the killing. It's just that she's able to act through these supernatural means. Mm -hmm. Um, I, but really it's a, most of it is psychological. It is. And I do think it, it walks this nice line where on the one hand, you know, like you can take it all at face value and be like, yeah, these were all ghosts, but it's also all done in such a way that because it is so psychological, if you want to believe that all of this was, you know, merely a projection of their psychological state you can actually interpret it that way it works Mm -hmm. on that level if that's how you choose to view it um and i think it's cool that it you can you can view it either way yeah totally Mm -hmm. let's uh let's take us to school Uh, oh my god give give us the folklore 
I mean, like, okay, so for anyone who hasn't heard this spiel before, um, this is where I get super excited. Uh, you know, Marie Claire and I on um, What the Force have talked about this a number of times. And, um, you know, you were kind enough to let me ramble a bit <laughs> when uh, when we talked about Roman Holiday. Um, and I'll keep it brief here. But what I loved about this was I saw this and then shortly thereafter I saw um uh, doctor strange multiverse of madness and like we don't have to go into how there's a lot of problems with that movie and i, I i'm fully aware but <laughs> one of the things i thought was quite fascinating about it was the way that both of these stories featured this monstrous mother who was desperate to either get her children back or protect her children or both and um and the way she she does these horrible things and and you know, becomes this terrifying creature because of this obsessive motherly instinct. And to a great extent, because of her grief, you know, she's so just destroyed by the loss of her children, which I think is a very understandable thing for people. Like, like, like many people say that there's literally nothing in the world worse than the grief of a mother. And so it's, you know, something we understand on a visceral level. And so to take this and to say that it, it turned them into monsters, I think it's truly fascinating. Um, I think that you, you can make an argument that it is misogynistic. I don't really think so. I think it's okay to explore, um, you know, that, that, that grief scares us and especially this extreme grief is really frightening to us and that's okay to to explore that in fiction um and so one of the stories his, um, historically that expresses this very very well uh is often told in uh mexico and, and latin american countries and it is uh and i'm gonna say it wrong and i'm sorry my i i don't speak spanish guys um but la uh the, see i can't even get the like sound right it's lorona La Llorona, and it's the the weeping woman. And the tale is that for, and there's a number of variants of it. So, you know, it, you can hear, hear many versions, but the tale is that it's this woman who, for whatever reason, she actually killed her own children. She drowned them in a river. And she's just so stricken by what she has done that then she dies of grief or throws herself in or whatever. And then her ghost wanders searching for them. And young children are warned to not go near the river or, you know, not go certain places at night. Or if you hear a weeping, stay away, you know, the wailing woman, that's that's her. And so there are other versions of the wailing woman in folklore and mythology throughout the world. Uh, but this is a very, very famous example. They've made horror movies out of it. Um, and, and there's just a lot of retellings out there. And so I find this fascinating because that, to me, that's what this story is, is it is this mother who just became so terrified by the thought of losing her children that she became monstrous. And, um, and it's interesting because the story, it's quite sympathetic to her, actually. I mean, um, it really makes you understand how this could have happened to her. Uh, you know, she, she went mad, but for very understandable reasons. 
So anyway, that's that's the one story that I thought was fascinating. And then a very tiny, teeny thing that I only noticed on this fourth round through <laughs> watching was um, at one point, Hugh says that Liv was the kite and he, Hugh, was the line and that she was a creature of the clouds or the sky and he was a creature of the earth. And, you know, but they together, they were... Uh, you know, they were something greater. And I love that because that is a star bride or a star spouse story uh, where there is, is one spouse who is of the sky and one who is of the earth and they come together and then frequently they are separated. And so of course she, as the sky spouse is lost and becomes a lost bride because um, you know, because she she dies and it's not unusual for them to take a child or more with them when, of course, we know that happens to Nell then. She sort of brings that child with her later. And so I thought that was very interesting as well that that um, reflected folklore. And, you know, these things aren't deliberate. This is just, there's a reason that these stories are retold over and over and over throughout history because they do express our deepest fears. Yeah. Absolutely. That's, that's awesome. I, I, the, the, the sort of, um, that, that mother stuff I think is, is I can see how somebody would go down that road of maybe it's misogynistic, but, but I think that it's played really from like a, a very compassionate angle, like Mm -hmm. you're saying. So I think like that with that in mind, I would not view it in that way. I think actually, I think actually the women in his stories are 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 very strong women and not in the like Joss Whedon strong <laughs> female character uh. sort of way where they're just male characters with boobs, right? Yep. Um I but but in the way that like actually like like her her her, her motherhood is her strength. Mm-hmm. And the tragic part of the story is the way that the house uses that against her. Yeah. Right. Yep. Because what it does for all of them is that it preys on their weakness, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, it finds their insecurity. It finds their greatest fear. And then it preys on that. And mm-hmm. so this, this thing, she's a, she's a wonderful, amazing mother. Yep. But whatever it is that's going on, whether it is a psychological thing or a supernatural thing, the the story hints at both that it is Mm -hmm. that actually these two things are probably tied together. Yep. But the house is able to then sort of seize that and, and use it as a way to manipulate her um, into doing some pretty horrific stuff, some pretty terrible stuff. I mean, I, the, the, the 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 twist with uh, Abigail I, uh, Abigail is such a great twist oh, of man. like <sighs> we expect that this is another one of these ghosts and it's sort of like it's one of it's it's one of those really great twists where like the answer was in front of you the whole time yep. um and you go back and when you rewatch it is one of those things where it's like every time they talk about their daughter and yeah and you do. didn't even notice I know I like it's yeah. crazy I watch it now and I'm like how did I not see and yet it's just so well done. <laughs> yeah. and it's, it's and it is this great it is this great 
piece of structured storytelling that allows her to do that. She's she is she is allowed to kill a child in the mm-hmm. story. That this very rarely happens on screen, by the way. Yeah. Like it, it, it's 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 a bold choice to do it, right? But yep. she is allowed to kill a child, but it's not one of hers. So a a we go through the rest of the story on like unknowingly leading to this point. Right. 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 It's such, it's such a great way to structure that because it it is, it is a twist. Like it is a very, very good twist. Yeah. It's, Um, I I mean, really it's just throughout it's a whole, it's a masterclass of planting and payoff. Like the whole thing with like, you know, the rat poison showing up and then they keep having it in the foreground of all these shots, you know, but you know, and so, you know, it's there. And so, it's amazing because then when you get to that scene, there's sort of a dawning realization. Like, I don't think it comes upon you all at once, or at least it didn't for me. I, it's more of like this slow, mm. oh, no, is she is she not a ghost? Oh, no. And you're panicking and you're freaking. Yeah. Like, again, to go back to like, I've seen this a number of times now, and I, my heart races, and I'm freaking out. Every time, every time I watch it, it's it's – these parts are always frightening, even when I know what's going to happen to some extent, almost because I know what's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's it, yeah. Yeah. It, it is that, it is that personal connection into the story. I think that allows it to have that effect mm-hmm. over and over and over again, Yeah, where it's like, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll compare it to Avengers Endgame, right? Yeah. The, the, the moment when the hammer comes to cap. Yeah. It works. It works so well because we have all of these movies before it. We have all of these moments before it. We have Thor's whole thing of like not being worthy initially and, you know, having to earn that back and lift the hammer. It means so much to us. We understand Mm -hmm. viscerally what it means to lift the hammer. Mm -hmm. And and we get that little tease of it in Age of Ultron when it just moves a budge. Nobody else can move it at all. But it just, it just, just a little bit. And so then- Then that payoff is a payoff that's like years in the making because we love mm-hmm. that character. We love Chris Evans. We love yep. Chris Hemsworth. We love Mjolnir. We love yeah. all of it. And so when the hammer goes to him, it is just like I there is there's not a better moment in in my movie going history. It's of one of like, my favorite memories. The screams in the theater. People oh my God. just lost their rocks, minds. Right. Yeah. And this <laughs> is this great. is the same thing. When mm-hmm. we love a character and we understand where they're coming from and we've lived with them throughout these like through all of this story, mm-hmm. especially on rewatches and we know where it's going and and it's and it's 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 like Anakin's turn in Revenge of the Sith. Every time I watch that movie, I just want him to make I a know, different choice. You're like, oh, come on. Every single time. Yeah. So say what you will about the prequels, it doesn't matter. Every single time I watch that movie, I'm like, Anakin, just not this time, please. Which mm-hmm. is insane, obviously. No, but, I, but here's okay. So, are you're familiar with Hades Town, right? I, the Broadway I, show. I, yeah, yeah, vaguely, vaguely. Okay, all right. You don't have to know details about it, but just briefly, you know, it's a retelling of Orpheus and Eurydice, and it, if you listen to, I mean, I haven't had a chance to see it yet, unfortunately, but but I've listened to the um, the cast album a number of times, and if you listen mm-hmm. to to the music, it puts right there in the script in the lyrics. It says. You know, um, you know, why do we tell this story? It's a tragedy, but maybe it'll turn out differently this time. And then, you know, at the end, of course, it doesn't. And they're like, you know, it's a tragedy, but we're going to tell it anyway. 
And so they, you know, they literally are telling you from the beginning and then at the end of the story, again, in a very Shakespearean way, that like, we're telling you a tragedy, you know, we're telling you a tragedy, that's why you're here. And we're all going to come to a point where we think maybe this time it'll be different, even though we know it won't. And that's what I really love about Hill House. And, and, and I think that's a really great kind of segue into talking about the ending and how satisfying it is. Um, because it is like, it's weird. It's not a happy ending, but it is. I don't know. What do you think? Um, I think, I think, I think there are multiple endings, right? Because the, yeah. the, the ending for the Dudleys is a happy ending, right? Right. Um, the house, I think, I think at the point when Nell saves her siblings, mm-hmm. um, and, and, and Hugh sacrifices himself sort of for that to happen, right. For everything yep. to happen. Um, the house is transformed, right? Like Agreed. the, 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 um, the dominant power is no longer, I can't remember the character's Poppy. name, but the, uh, Poppy. Poppy, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's no longer Poppy and it becomes, it becomes Olivia and Hugh because Olivia without Hugh, the, their whole thing, their whole analogy is like they're the kite in the, the string. Kite in the line, yeah. The mm-hmm. kite in the line, right? Like they're not, neither one of them on their own can survive but together they 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 create and it's such a great analogy for for marriage and relationship Mm -hmm. because that really is i think how it's meant to work right is um you know you want to complement each other and you want to bolster your strengths bolster bolster their weaknesses and vice versa um and but then you have enough in common that that uh you know you both have to be part of the kite yeah (laughs) in order for it to work so so i think that once they're reunited in the afterlife that they take over Hill House at that point and it becomes, it becomes their domain. And so then, and that's sort of signified to us in, in sort of the, the epilogue Mm -hmm. moment of, of, um, uh, of, of the Dudleys and, and her passing. Right. Right. And then she appears, he looks up and sees her there with both of their children. Right. Which like, mm-hmm. again, we've, we got this amazing, amazing monologue from, from Dudley sort of partway through the series that you think is a bit of a throwaway, mm-hmm. but it's not at all because it, you have to have that moment in order yes. for this ending to be resonant. Exactly. Uh, and it, it plants this seed so that when you see her with this baby in her arms, you're like, that's what, that's why they're like, don't tear the house down. You can't yeah. tear the house down. Yeah. That's why they take care of it. That's why they maintain it. Mm-hmm. Um, because one day they'll be they'll be together again. Yep. And so it's it is actually like it transforms from uh, from this haunted place into heaven at the end, mm-hmm. right? Because yes. that really is when we talk about heaven and what we want it to be. That is often what we're talking about. Is yep. that like, oh, everybody that you've ever loved will be there, right? Mm-hmm. Like. It, and that's what they achieve at the end is that like everybody that you've ever loved is, is, is right there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so I do, I absolutely see it as a happy ending. I see it as a very yeah. hopeful, um, up, even upbeat. Like it's, yeah, like, I it's, do. it's about death, but death, uh, it, like we, you know, the jury's out, who knows, it, maybe it's the end, but, but I think as human beings, we like to believe that it's not. Yeah. And so I do think that there's something hopeful about that, that it, you know, like it's, it, I think about this a lot. So when my, when my dad died a couple of years ago, 
um, it sort of put this into sort of stark relief for me where I, cause when somebody that you love dies, you, you have to come to grips with the idea that like you, you, you will never see them again. It's there's no one do. It's not a temporary thing. It's the only thing that's permanent. Right. Um, and as human beings, this is when we're in our middle ages, when we have to start facing our mortality in these ways as people that we love start dying. Um, we exist for a blip. Mm-hmm. We don't exist for eternity in both directions, right? Like time in both directions from the before the time that we existed and after the time that we existed, we don't exist in eternity in either way. And so it's very, um, uh, humbling to think about it in those terms and to think about eternity in that way and to think about death in that way and what it means. Um, but, but I mean, like it, it can also be a very scary, very depressing thought to go mm-hmm. down that path. And I think that this is one of those stories that to me sort of, whether it's true or not, well, is the difference between truth or fact, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because I do, I whether this is a fact or not is irrelevant. But to me, I I believe it to be a truth, which is that you know, like love persists, mm-hmm. um, and and we persist in the people that come after us that carry on. Whether it doesn't have to be children, I think that that's a very myopic way of looking at it. But everybody that you affect in your life, mm-hmm. um, for better or worse carries on your legacy in them and then in the people that they affect. Right. So in that sense, we never really die. And, and as a result of that, I think that like whatever we are, that's the stuff that makes us up. That's not the, 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 the hard stuff that, you know, as Yoda would say, this crude matter. Right. Um, I, I have to believe that it persists that Mm -hmm. in some way, and I uh, and and so the idea that that whatever form that takes, that you get to be with the people that you love, um, that I can't I can't think of a better way to spend eternity, right? Mm-hmm. To spend the the rest of time uh, uh, in both directions. Yeah. Um, and and uh, and so I think like that's sort of that's kind of what he's getting at. Yeah, that's kind of what he's getting at with his ghost stories. Yeah. Um, and it's beautiful because, you know, they they spend a lot of time talking about how they're so excited to, you know, live in their forever home. And, yeah. you know, when earlier in the show, when she starts referring to Hill House as their forever home, it's very frightening it's forbidding because we understand that the house at that point is malevolent and so the idea that that she would want this to be the forever home that's terrifying but when she and hugh are reunited and he chooses to stay with her so that she will not be alone and nell successfully saves her siblings and so they're all together there in the house then the house does become their forever home that they always dreamed of and so you know, and to your point, forever home, meaning heaven, basically, you know, whatever you want to call it, but that's what it is. And so I think that's beautiful, certainly, you know, in terms of a perspective on death, but also the perspective on life at the end of this story, because the whole idea is that as long as she was clinging to them and trying to protect them, and this goes back to the monstrous mother thing, she they were damaged. They were horribly damaged and they could not live full lives. Um, 
and, and, and have a chance at happiness. You know, they were all miserable for one reason or another. And what's amazing is that when they finally, you know, leave Hill House, having reconciled with their sister, reconciled with their mother, their dad, everything, and they go out and they live their lives, you know, uh, Steve and Shirley both recon- uh, they reconcile with their spouses and um, Theo is finally able to be part of a lasting relationship with Trish. And um, and Luke is at the end, the final scene is showing him he's been sober two years at that point and they're all celebrating together. And I just think it's the most beautiful, uplifting thing that these people faced their trauma head on, like faced it in the worst way. All of their worst fears came true. They faced it and they came out the other side and they had a chance at joy. And I think that's just an incredible, incredible perspective for a horror story to take, um, for a ghost story to take, to say, you know, like, yeah, it's terrifying, but, you know, when you face those fears, then you can finally be free. Yeah, absolutely. Um, awesome. Listen, I, I think we did it. Yeah. I, 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 I think that's a great note to end on. Um, yeah. Uh, if you haven't watched Haunting of Hill House because you have been, you know, apprehensive about the, the spookies and the scaries, I, I would say like power through power through those first few episodes i know it's not for everybody but but um but i do think that the story is worthwhile Mm -hmm. um that that i i'm i don't know i sort of go back and forth with horror because i do Mm -hmm. quite enjoy um the supernatural and 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 being spooked a little bit uh every once in a while but i i but but this particular brand of horror I really, really like. Yeah. I, I, every year I, I've been looking forward to, to these stories from mm-hmm. Mike Flanagan. Now, he won't be at Netflix next year. Uh, I think that his new deal is with Amazon. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think he's got, it's like a, it's a, a multi-year deal. I don't know where that's at with like the strikes and everything, but I, uh, uh, but hopefully, hopefully this time next year, you know, October spooky season, we get, we get another, whether it's at, <laughs> on Netflix or Amazon, it really doesn't matter. It's a tradition it's, now. Uh, it's a tradition. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. Flanagan put out a new show. Let's watch. Yeah. I, the funny thing is that like, I haven't watched Midnight Mass yet this year, um, but, but I have watched now like Hill House, House of Usher. And I think that like. I think I might jump into to Midnight Mass before I go back to House of Usher again, mm-hmm. um, just because Midnight Mass is just like, oh, man, mm-hmm. it's so good. Midnight Mass is one of those ones where I don't even know if I could do a perfect 10 on it because I would just sit here going like, you guys, it's just so good. <laughs> it's just so good. Like everything about it is just so good. My favorite part of it, just the tease for Midnight Mass mm-hmm. for people who haven't watched it, is that um, it starts with a ghost i but it is not a ghost story Mm -hmm. Uh, it is it is it is something else entirely but it starts with a ghost but that ghost isn't actually a ghost and i love that he did that to us with Mm -hmm. it where it's like he does these other two shows and then gets to midnight mass and it's like here's what you're expecting 
and and it's a <laughs> it's a pretty like it's a pretty creepy ghost like it's a very mm-hmm. very good ghost mm-hmm. um and it very you very quickly realize that it is not an actual ghost he is just haunted by his mistakes and mm-hmm. that's going to lead to the the real horror that's that's ahead of him yep. um so good yeah midnight mass is so good it's, it's so great. good. It's it's fun. I I can't because I vampires specifically freak yeah. me out a little too much, and so I did like it. But I also was just like I I don't know that I can do that again. <laughs> um, but I I did I did think it was very good. Now I will say I it, of course you'll have to see. Um, I'm sure there's a number of people who would be happy to talk about it with you, but you might check with Ty because not only is she a Flanagan fan, I know she also likes vampires. So just throwing that out there. Listen, I'll, I I will I will bring it up with her, and then mm-hmm. and maybe that'll be our 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 Halloween one for next year. Ooh, um, fun! Yeah, <laughs> I awesome. Well, thank you so much, Missy, for joining me on this episode to talk about Midnight Mass. Uh, about I'm sorry, about Midnight Mass. <laughs> see where your head is. <laughs> I know. I just want to. I just want to go watch it right now. Um, but yeah, I I fantastic. Uh, conversation as always i hope that everybody else enjoyed it um but even if you didn't i don't really care (laughs) don't because i enjoyed it is what i'm saying it's like that's like i'm happy and i'm the most important customer on this podcast so i i if you're not making listen if you're not making things for yourself then you know who are you making them for it's pointless Mm -hmm. i i and then and then you know you just find people along the way who also like the things that you like i think that's what mike flanagan has been doing and he's 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 made a lot of fans in the process yeah um so yeah Mm -hmm. Uh, i hope everybody has a great halloween this episode releases the day before halloween so i hope everybody's I, I listening to this either the day before or the day of um i hope you're not listening to this on november 1st you should be watching nightmare before christmas I, oh yeah that's I, right which like yeah. listen listen nightmare before christmas is not a halloween movie stop watching <laughs> it in october the earliest you can watch nightmare before christmas is november 1st okay it's now listen movie. though i'm i am that that meme from the road to El Dorado where they're like both, yeah. both, both. I just think both. That's fine. That's fine. But so, it's a, it's, it's it about is a Christmas, Christmas movie. I agree. The Christmas movie. Um, yes. So on November 1st, watch nightmare before Christmas. I okay. generally do. Um, awesome. That's it. Thank you. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you for joining us. Uh, and until next time, remember, it's not about the score. It's about the love. Stay <laughs> geeky, everyone. Thunderquack Perfect 10 is hosted by me, Michael Cohen. Follow us on Twitter at ThunderquackPod, on Instagram at ThunderquackPodcast, on Facebook at Thunderquack, and join us on Discord at Thunderquack.com Discord. Support the podcast by heading to Patreon.com Thunderquack to get early access bonus episodes, and the Thunderquack Perfect 10 pop quiz. Thunderquack Perfect 10 is part of the Thunderquack Podcast Network. Thanks for listening.